Good morning. My name is Rick Martinez, one of the elders here. It's a privilege to be bringing the Word of God to you today. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Matthew chapter 11. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. And as my son Matthew said last week, we are going to start taking big chunks because we want to uh, conclude before the Lord returns. And, uh, of course, there's no guarantees of that, obviously. So, actually, today, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm taking two chapters. Say this with me. Something greater is here. I have to tell you as I begin, just to be vulnerable with you, I came in this morning really, really deeply in need of that time of worship. As we were standing there, uh, while I was standing at the last song, I just, I just was asking God to meet me, and um, I felt like I was standing under a waterfall. You know, you've seen those pictures of those beautiful waterfalls, and somebody will get underneath it, and the water will be, that's what I felt like, and I just, I needed it so badly, and part of the reason, I think, is because of what I'm teaching today, um, and I just think maybe where I'm at in God right now in my own heart, in my own life. Um, and I'll be honest, yesterday I spent some time and I listened to some teachings online from various people. And by the time I got in bed last night, I got in bed disgusted. And I don't want you to hear this being critical, but I just was so disappointed and discouraged by the triteness and by the shallowness, and by the fact that what I was listening to, and it wasn't, I was trying to, uh, I guess I was trying to study in a sense and hear something and find something in God. And I, as a, what I was hearing, though, was everything I was hearing, it seemed to be just about the person who was preaching. And, of course, here I am starting talking about me, right, um, ironically. But I just thought, you know, Lord, there's got to be more. There's got to be more now that we hear. There's got to be more now that we preach. It's got to be about you. It's got to be about the glory of God and not about us. This chapter, uh, chapters 11 and 12 of Matthew, are going to be difficult for me to communicate in one sense because what Jesus was doing was being very um, mysterious. He was not being clear. He was, he was speaking in, in a way that was hiding the truth at a level. It was similar to what he had spoken before about, um, about for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, that certain things would be hidden from those who did not have them. And so he was speaking, as he will in chapter 13, almost parabolically. He is not yet ready to make himself fully known, but he did want to make something fully known. Is this working? Okay. I'm, now I'm confused. And so in this these two chapters, the theme, and what my, I'm entitling the teaching this morning is, the theme is that 
Something greater is here. Now, the question is, what is that? What is the greater? And what does Jesus mean? It almost can appear, if we read it straight through these, which we're not going to be able to do, that Jesus is beginning to make himself known somehow. But if we look closer, we realize that he's doing something very, very entirely different. But he is making known, listen, why he has come. In fact, he really is still masking his true identity. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, in the natural, Herod would still want to kill him. Just killed John the Baptist. We know that he was looking for the king. He would want to kill him. But also because he, I think, felt that this would detract from his greater purposes. Simply to make himself known as being the Messiah would have somehow detracted from a greater purpose in the heart of God. In the Father's ultimate mission for him, which was this, to establish the kingdom of God. To bring in, to usher in, to introduce the reign of God in the human heart. Certainly upon the earth, but more importantly, even initially in the human heart. And so in chapters 11 and 12, we're going to see that there are two uh, very uh, diverse hearts that are represented, at least two obvious ones, and there are obviously there are many more hearts that are going to be affected by his words. But the two hearts that I'm zeroing in on that I saw as I was studying it was the heart of John the Baptist, who represents the earnest follower who is disillusioned. Is there anybody in the room like that today? The earnest follower who is now disillusioned because what he had hoped for is not happening. What he had believed God for and what he actually thought was among, now among them still wasn't happening. And then you also have the burned out religious man. The bored religious man or woman who is bored with religion, bored with another prayer meeting, bored with another time of going to church, bored with another home group, bored with another speaker coming into town. Bored. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. Just, it's now just rote religion. We're doing it because we're obligated, because we believe it's what we're supposed to do. Anybody in the room like that? You don't want to raise your hand, do you? <laughs> Smart. Can we be honest and say we all feel that way at times? Maybe even today a little bit. But hey, you're here. Good for you, praise God. And of course, in the middle are the young disciples who have just begun following him, who have great expectation. They're not yet disillusioned. And they're not yet burned out. And we got some of those too. But Jesus isn't so concerned at this point with 
making himself known, but rather what he wants to do, what he wants to do and what he wants to do for us today is stir our hearts to the fact, brothers and sisters, that there is something, something greater. Let's read a portion of chapter 11 and a portion of chapter 12. Verse 11, Matthew 11, 11. Regarding John the Baptist, John had come to him prior to this and said, are you really the one? I said a moment ago that he had been killed. He hadn't been killed yet, obviously. He's asking, are you, are you, are you really the one? He would be killed shortly. His disciples are coming. He's in prison. He's in jail. His disciples are coming to Jesus, and they say, he's confused, Lord. Are you really the one or not? And Jesus begins to speak about John. And he says in verse 11, I say to you, truly among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now listen, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, here it is, is greater. There's the first time we hear it, is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now, all of this is like, what is he talking about? We'll find out in a moment. But the key word here is greater. That even the one that is least now, who believes and who will see and who will understand this, what I have come to make known, is greater than the greatest prophet who has ever lived up to this moment who is John the Baptist. He goes on and he speaks about uh, unrepentant cities. He's talking about cities right close to where he lived in Capernaum, cities that, that he knew well, who had not yet, who would not believe, who would not repent. He calls them to rest in verses 25 to the end of chapter 11. He calls them to something that they do not know, that they, that they are hungry for, that they are wanting, but they have not yet come to know, which is the rest of God. He makes remarkable statements speaking the rest, that he, in fact, is Lord of the rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath rest of God. He says in the beginning of chapter 12, I can call you to rest, he says, because I am the rest of God. I'm greater than the Sabbath. And then he begins to be questioned, as he was often, because of that statement being the Lord of the Sabbath by the Pharisees and the scribes. And they begin to question the lawfulness of what he was doing, allowing his disciples to eat, to pluck grain on the Sabbath and to eat it. And he begins to speak to them in chapter 12, in verse 3, and he says, Have you not read what King David did? When he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the Pharisees, which was not lawful for him to do, nor for those who were with him. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? But I tell you, and here he says it, something greater than the temple is here. Now, there are three things that he's going to list here very quickly in chapter 12 that he is greater than, or that, now I want to make clear that this is what he is saying, something 
is greater than. Because in the Greek, there are three genders. There's masculine, feminine, and neuter. And he is using here a gender that is neither masculine nor feminine when he says something greater is here. The neuter gender, which speaks of inanimate things. So he is not saying someone greater is here. He's not saying someone greater than the temple is here. In a moment, he's going to say someone greater than Jonah is here. And in another sentence following, he'll say something greater than Solomon is here. Not someone, something, something. Some translations actually translate it someone because it's hard to pick up what that he's talking about. Well, of course, Jesus is greater. I don't have to preach that this morning to you. Jesus is greater than the temple because he was the temple of God. The one who is the builder of the house is greater than the house. He's greater than Jonah because all the prophets looked and foretold the coming of the Messiah. He's greater than the prophets. And he was greater than Solomon. Of course, we know that. But no, he's not saying someone greater. He said something. What is the something? See, in these verses, Jesus is offering a new way of understanding God's timetable, what God is doing. He's telling them, essentially, that Israel's history from Abraham to Moses was one of a long preparation. But now, listen, the preparation was over and the reality had dawned. What was happening is that the kingdom of God was breaking in kingdom of God. The something, the something that Jesus says is greater, the something that, that the least in, in, in that thing who would believe in it would cause them to be greater than John himself, the something that was now greater, that was now among them, that was greater than even the temple, greater than the prophet Jonah, greater than the king Solomon, the something is the fact of the reign of God on the human heart. It was the kingdom of God having come. You see, the purpose of God was not simply for Jesus to die and to keep you and I from going to hell, as great as that is. The purpose of God was to come and to bring the rule and the reign of the, what God intended for man on the earth initially when he created him. To renew, to restore, to recreate what was God's intention for man. And we have said this, we have preached this ad nauseum in our own church. There's got to be a greater motive for living than simply just doing what we do as Christians in our understanding. The only thing that will keep us in the faith, the only thing that will keep us passionate, the only thing that will keep us alert, the only thing that will give us a reason to live a life that's holy, that is set apart, is a greater purpose in our hearts to believe in. Otherwise, we end up like John, somehow disillusioned. And for years and years and years and years, as I led, I held a carrot out in front of the church. 
promising something that God was not interested in doing. And people got disillusioned and, and they left because, and even now many may not be walking with God because we promised them something that was not the promise of God. John did not understand what God wanted to do. As a man of God, as great a man of God as he was, he had not seen it fully. And the Pharisees were blind to it completely because of their religion. Some of us in, our, in this room may be blind to it because of our religion. What I prayed is God open the eyes of our heart to see it. Three times in Matthew 12, we meet this something. This something. What is it Jesus wants to teach us? What was he trying to say that day? Masking who he really was, because that wasn't his main interest. He would reveal himself gradually, not to his disciples in the following chapters, but in the next chapter, even in chapter 13, he's going to speak of the incredible value of that of which he speaks of in chapter 12 and 11. He's going to speak of the mystery of it, of the, of the value, of the power of it, of this thing that we understand with our English language to be the kingdom of God, but with our hearts may not yet fully grasp. Something greater. In verse 6 in chapter 12, he says something greater than the temple is here. The temple represented where God met with man to the Jew. The temple derived all of its glory from God. That God would reveal himself in the temple, and that gave the temple meaning and significance. But as, as amazing as the temple was, and we'll talk about that even more in a second, it did not even compare to the greatness and the glory of God. In fact, it was only worthy to be his footstool. The temple was where sacrifice was made for sin. But we know that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus says, now something greater than the, even the purpose of the first temple had come. Something greater than the glory of the first temple was among them. And that was the life of the kingdom, the reign of God on the human heart, in the human heart. The life of, of, of the age to come, that was in, it's an eternal age. It's the eternal age that is filled with the glory of God. It's eternal age that is, is, is perfect in its, in its essence, in every sense, because it is God who is in the midst of the man, of, of the people of God. That had now come in one man. At this point, one man. But the kingdom is the life of the new creation. It's, it is a new beginning. It's not just a, a patch on our old lives as Matt has been preaching. But it's a, a beginning anew. And so Jesus is saying now the rule of God through this perfect sacrifice that he would now someday very soon in his life make for man was to be manifest in the human heart. You see, the sacrifice that would be made once for all, Hebrews tells us, was a better sacrifice. 
a more perfect sacrifice. Listen, a once for all sacrifice. Once for all sacrifice. And God could take his rightful place again among men and the effect of sin would be dealt with and the power of sin would be broken due to that more perfect sacrifice. A fuller revelation of God's redemptive love would be made known. The blood of bulls and goats could not fully reveal the redemptive love of God because it could never take away the sin completely and it could never cleanse the conscience. Only the blood of Christ would ever bring the fullest revelation of the love of God redemptively. Something greater than the temple was among them. Not just in the person of Christ, listen, but in the heart of Christ, in the motive. Are you with me? In the motive of Christ, in in his own heart's desires. Sometimes I like to think about what, and I can't imagine it, but I I try to, what did Jesus feel when he was on the earth? What did he think about? Knowing who he was and knowing what he would do, but I think he was driven, and in fact, Paul alludes to it, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had a greater purpose in his life. Brothers and sisters, so must we. And he is longing for us to see it. He's longing for us to taste it. He's longing for us to believe it. He's longing for us to embrace it. Something greater is here. Something greater is here. He's saying that the full meaning, the full purpose, the full effect had come and was now manifest among them through his life. He goes on in verse 41 and he says, and something greater than Jonah is here. There's a whole interlude between verse 6 and verse 41. He heals a man with a withered hand. The kingdom is, is being manifest through the works of Jesus. He speaks about himself as the servant of God. There's a a gradual revelation of who he is taking place. He talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, unbelief and denying and doubting and questioning and calling what is of God, not of God, but of Satan and what is of Satan, God. Happens all the time now. knowing a tree by its fruit. There's a lot in these texts that we could teach, but I'm looking at this thought of something greater. And he says in verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, he'd been asked when, in verse 40 by the scribes and Pharisees for a sign. It is the way of the religious mind to say, you got to prove to me something. You see, because I'm so entrenched in my tradition. I'm so entrenched in the way that we do church. I'm so entrenched in what I believe that is the way God wants to do something that you're going to have to prove to me that this is really God. So it doesn't leave God much room 
to do something new. God wants to do something new, not outside the realm of Scripture. Don't misunderstand me. But something new maybe that you and I have never seen. Something up to this point we've not yet experienced. How many of you live in the past in your Christian experience? Oh, man, if we could just go back to 19... I mean, we even tried to have a worship day one day, a couple, three, four years ago, to try to bring back the good old days at the vineyard. What a flop it was. Why? Because God doesn't want to resurrect that stuff. He wants us to have faith in what he wants to do now. Yes? Of course, we are thankful for those times. But there's something new in the heart of God. Something greater than Jonah, he says, is here. And what was that that Jonah spoke of? Three days and three nights in the belly of a monster. It was not a fairy tale. It is not a fairy tale. It literally happened. It was a miracle that God worked for Jonah. And Jesus reminds the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees of the sign of Jonah. And he reminds them again later in Matthew chapter 16. There is a a greater event even than that, he is saying, among you. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of his coming resurrection. He's speaking of the life that would come through the resurrection of God that is the life of the kingdom of God now at work in us. It is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. That is the greater thing. The life of that activity, that work, is the greater thing. Something greater is here. Something greater than Jonah. To the extent that it superseded even the prophets, it supersedes the law. In fact, listen, the law and the prophets were fulfilled through the work of Jesus Christ and his death, life, death, burial, and resurrection. There was not just a greater prophet than Jonah in their midst. There was a greater prophet, but it was not just that. What was in their midst was the power that kept Jonah alive in the belly of a whale. The life of the reign of God in the human heart, listen, in the human mind, and in the human body. The life of the reign of God in the human heart, in the human mind, and in the human body. Something greater, he says, is here. Trying to communicate to you what I feel God has said to me, we need to step into something in our understanding of who we really are, of what we have, of why we have what we have, of what we've been called to of how we are are going to be able to to make a difference in this city, in this world in which we're living. Not only something greater than the temple and something greater than Jonah, but something greater than Solomon, he says. And that's like, why? Why is he bringing up Solomon? 
Because Solomon represented to the Jew the apex of the glory of their history. Under his reign, the temple was built. What a temple it was. The stones that they have discovered now of the temple are, are so large. And the, and the stones that, that, would, that he would walk up as he would ascend into the temple that Solomon built are so large that they don't know how they could have actually placed them. They are placed without cement perfectly. You could not even get a blade of a knife between them. How? Solomon is wisdom, his architecture by the, by, the, by the wisdom of God built this amazing edifice, this structure. Something greater, he said, is here. Something greater than the wisdom of Solomon is here. Something greater than the wisdom of Solomon. And Solomon was known for his great wisdom. Something greater than the wealth of Solomon was here. The Queen of Sheba, it says in Second Chronicles, when she heard of his fame, came to see it with her own eyes. And her response was, I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, it was not even half, not even half was told to me of what is true. First Kings 10.7 says, the wealth of Solomon, something greater than that is here. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he became poor for our sakes that we through his poverty might become rich. <laughs> something greater than his wisdom, something greater than his wealth, something greater. Listen, and this is what I have to use to conclude. I have a lot more that I was going to say, but you get the heart of it. Something greater than his dominion. And maybe this is the key. Look with me at Daniel 7. It's ironic. It's amazing to me how God does this. I'm teaching today in the women's prison at Folsom, and I'm teaching out of Daniel 7. And Dean alluded to it this morning in his teaching in Revelation, and, and I have it in my notes also to teach this morning as I was teaching out of Matthew 12. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel is an old man now, is, is getting dreams. I was telling the uh, elders on Saturday, I'm starting to dream a lot of dreams. It's a sign of my last birthday, I guess. And he has this dream, and it scares him, frightens him. He sees these four beasts. This is a very difficult chapter, but this chapter in Daniel, Daniel 7 is the center of the revelation of Dan, the book of Daniel. It's the key chapter in the book of Daniel because of what is revealed to Daniel. I just want to kind of draw your attention to a couple of things here. He says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Now listen, his dominion 
is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, this is by some commentators thought to to be a prophecy of the second coming of Christ, but it's not. It's actually speaking of the ascension of Christ, of Christ coming into the throne room of God as the ascended Lord and receiving the kingdom and the dominion. Now look what he goes on to say, though, in chapter 7. In verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven, listen, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So it makes sense that Jesus would say, something greater than Solomon is here. Yes, something greater than his wisdom. Yes, something greater than his wealth. But even more importantly, something greater than his dominion. It's the dominion of God. And it's been given to a man. And it will be given to many men. It will be given to those who see and who believe. You must be born again to see this kingdom. You cannot see it. You cannot know it unless you are born again. It's not something you gain by going to church. It's something that only you can see and know and understand and live in by revelation because the life of God is at work within you. Something greater. And that, that greater reality, that greater truth, that, ga- that greater purpose, brothers and sisters, is what we have been born into and been called to. That's why we've said so often, too, that the cross, as important as the cross is to our, our Christian experience, to our theology, to our, our understanding of God's heart, was only the beginning It's the way in. It's the door. It's not the whole experience, the whole picture. What's on the other side of the cross is the life of the kingdom. It's the life of the new creation. And I I was praying about it, and I thought, Lord, all the young people in our church, how do I communicate, how do I say this to them somehow in a way that will grip their heart and it becomes more than just church? Can I just say this as, as, a, as a counterpoint, is that everything that we're talking about, the enemy counterfeits. He counterfeits, he counterfeits what the sacrifice of Christ accomplished, something greater than the temple. He, he, counter, he placates sin's work in man's heart. First of all, he does it by, it's no longer called sin. But then the sense of guilt is placated out of out of some false spirituality or some other means that, that the enemy will counterfeit to deal with the, the guilt in the heart of man. He counterfeits what true life is, doesn't he? Listen, if you're a young man or a young woman in this room today, you have to know the enemy will want to counterfeit 
everything that God has done for you in Christ. And he wants you to pursue that and not him. So you're going to have to recognize it for what it is. And of course he counterfeits the dominion of God. He counterfeits what is the true authority and the true, the true power of, 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 a, of a new creation life, of this new life that we've been called to. I don't know if I said that well enough. I just, you can tell the earnestness in my heart. I just, I want us to know something greater is here. If you go home today and all you remember, three words, something greater. Four words? No, three words is here. What is the something? Well, it's Jesus? No, no, yes, no, no, it's Marlon. It's yes, no. It's the reason Jesus came. It's the purpose that Jesus came for. It's why Jesus came. It's, it's the effect of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's the heart of the Father, the mission of God from eternity to restore man into the image of God to recreate that which was lost, not just to bring it back to Adam's experience, but even beyond the true man of God. Amen. So as we take communion, and I asked Dean if we could do that, we could take communion at the end. Can we just come to the table today with this sense of thanksgiving and joy and awareness, probably awareness, of who we are. Come up, come prayerfully, come hungrily, come desperate, come dissatisfied in a holy sense, come just earnest. And the things that you know we're talking about are so hard to communicate because they're spiritual. And the spiritual mind must comprehend them by the Spirit of God. We have the mind of Christ. And I believe God will reveal these things to us. So let's come. Can I have the worship team come back up?